Hey, one more thing before you go. In a world full of stories, there are a few that inspire us beyond measure. Today, we bring you the incredible journey of a cancer survivor who not only healed herself holistically, but also became a caretaker for her mother and rose to become the CEO of a worldwide company that trains and books speakers. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode is Antoniette Rose. She faced the battle of her life fighting cancer with unwavering determination. Her journey to healing was unconventional, driven by the power of holistic practices and the support of her loved ones. As a cancer survivor who relied on integrative therapies in her youth, Antoinette is on a mission to ensure that people have access to the best solutions for their health and well-being. Countless lives have been positively impacted by the speakers at Antoinette has worked with many of whom have gone from speaking for little to nothing to making a major part of their revenue model. Antoinette is a dynamic sought-after speaker agent who is revolutionizing the health, well-being, and optimum performance industry with a passion for empowering speakers to make a lasting impact. She developed a groundbreaking system for success that is changing the game for speakers and producers, and I am honored to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. What a beautiful introduction. And I'll tell you what, I have been a fan of One More Thing Before You Go for quite a while. And so I'm super thrilled to be here with you today. I am grateful for that. I mean, we, we've we had some discussions outside of this arena. And, and uh, you know, I value you as a, an individual that creates a positive impact for the for the world around you and those that are um, coming up in this journey, especially with wellness and and uh, with helping individuals see their potential. So thank you. I'm honored to have you here. Well, the feeling is very mutual. I'm excited to dive into our conversation. We've got a lot of things to cover, and we're going to do our best to get them all covered, or at least mostly covered, because we can always have you back on. I love having people back on. shows that we have a continuing conversation with what's important in life. Um, but I'd like to start at the beginning. Can you tell me where you grew up? Sure. I, I was born and raised for a while in Southern California, high school and college in Northern Nevada. Got an internship way in the middle of the U.S. Um, in Texas uh, in the mid-90s, early mid-90s. Um, and that was a little crazy because at that point, my family was like, there's no Italians in Texas, <laughs> right? They're either on the west coast or the east coast nobody's in the middle um except for maybe florida but actually it, it really did wind up becoming my home i was 26 and i did not realize there was big beautiful green lush open spaces still at that age i really still thought any land any open spaces was either desert and tumbleweeds or swamp or just you know, steep hills. I didn't realize there was such vast beauty. So I wound up making this my home. And this works. I think, I mean, I'm sure that it, it is unusual for, I mean, there can be Italian Americans everywhere because you do have, you have a It's a little different name. now. Right? It's a little different. Yeah. I mean, we're all, over, we're all over the country. I mean, I have Italian heritage, so I, I respect it. I grew up with a whole group of Italians. Um, my brother-in-law, my first brother-in-law, my, my sister's been remarried, but 
Um, she married a guy from Rome. You know, when he moved here, he literally spoke no English. Wow. So, but he brought a lot of his friends over, and uh, so yeah, I, I respect. I respect you. I do a lot of passion in that family. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, there is, and love the food. When I got introduced at the age of eleven with Italian cuisine made from real Italians, um, yeah, it changed my life. Just Whole different story. Yep. Yeah, it works. <laughs> my son got to backpack Italy. Um, he had saved up all of his his uh, summer dollars, right? And I think he was eighteen, possibly nineteen. He basically was gone for seven months wow. in Italy, and then he traveled all over. Because um, at one point, I did work with a ministry, so we just wound up having friends all over the world. And so I went from homeschooling my only biological child, right, my son, to him grabbing a backpack and traveling the world. And back then, there wasn't just cell phones, right? Yeah. I mean, I think some people had cell phones, but they were the size of uh, shoe boxes. <laughs> and, um, so I didn't really even have communication with him. But what was really interesting is uh, he backpacked Italy for about seven months. He worked with an organization there. And um, and then just traveled around and he expected to see a lot of fat Italians like everywhere, right? Yeah. Kind of like Americanized Italians. And he was really surprised that most of the, the uh, population, the population, at least where he was, they were very active and mm -hmm. a meal was an experience. It wasn't something you rushed through or ate at yes. your death. You sat and you ate with, yes. The person and, and you didn't stop that experience that event until until it was over and then you went to the next event how how opposite do we live right where we're just kind yeah. of throwing food in our mouths as we go and i'm telling you you've got 15 minutes because then i'm on to the next guy right yep. and it's it's so uh so it's just a, such a beautiful culture he absolutely fell in love with it and the people looked really fit and uh, for the most part, right? Really fit and spry yes. and even the elderly. So it was it was an interesting experience. I haven't gotten to go. It's definitely a dream of mine one of these days. You need to go. You need to visit. You need to visit. It's really, you know, it, it is. That's one thing that, that we learned as well, or I learned growing up. Um, with We had like a little Italy within the, the apartment complex that my sister and my brother-in-law managed. So they brought everybody over there and they were there. I got to learn to speak Italian. Come sedice was like, <laughs> I learned come sedice, which is how do you say? That was the first Italian word I ever learned because so many people were going, come sedice, Michael, come sedice, point to something, come sedice, come sedice, they get in glass. This kind of, so I <clears throat> got to enjoy that and the food. And you're right, it's an experience. And Americans. Well, you, know, you know more than me. All I know are the cuss words because <laughs> we, we would get yelled at in Italian. But yeah. my um, third generation and my family wanted to Americanize very quickly. They landed at Ellis Island. And back then there was a lot of, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't cool to be Italian or Irish or really anything. Um, and, you know, living, growing up in, in Brooklyn and Queens area. It was just yeah. a culture where my family wanted us to Americanize as quickly as possible, sadly, because we really, we didn't lose the food. We got the food right. and, and the cuss words. You gotta, <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta have the cuss words first. 
<laughs> and the passion, but we lost the language. And it's, it's always been something I, I say someday, I, I, you know, we have Rosetta Stone, the whole thing. I just haven't been disciplined. <laughs> well, eat food first, then language. It's all good. Food, food yeah. is a universal, food, food can be a universal language, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, once uh, in the 90s, I spent seven weeks in, in Israel working with an orphanage there. And I was a single mom. And my son had just turned five. And um, it was so beautiful to watch him play mm. with the kids. They didn't know each other's languages. We, mm. we, they would eat together and they would play together. And they figured it out right they knew sure. how to communicate without yeah. even knowing each other's language even if, at a very very young age i just thought that was the most beautiful thing loved it, it. Is, it's very it, it is it is um children looking and seeing through children's eyes i think we have lost that uh, opportunity to understand that we can all get along and be human beings yeah. with each other yeah. but amen we have to tell your story speaking of kids as you're growing up, I know that you, you at a young age, did you develop cancer? I did, yes. Uh, so just kind of dialing back a little bit, um, at a uh, really young age, single digits, uh, I think it was eight or nine, I have to go back and really look at all the dates. Um, my father was hit by a drunk driver, killed instantly, leaving my mom with me, my sister, and two of my brothers. I have, I have three brothers. Um, there was a, another mama in there somewhere. Um, so we, we were left in a pretty desperate situation. Um, we lost our house, all the things my mom worked, but you know, for four kids, my, my brothers were babies. They were 18 month old twins and it was just a really tragic situation. Anyway, we all went into foster care, um, while my mom just tried to get us a home and, and get back on our feet. Um, it was obviously a very big grieving process. My dad was only 28. She was 28 when that happened. So during the time that I was in and out of foster homes, I began having a very difficult time walking. But all I wanted was our family to get back together, right? I wanted my brothers back. There were babies. I wasn't getting to see them grow, grow up and all the milestones. My sister and I were putting put into our own uh, foster care homes together, but you know, we bounced around a bit. And I didn't want to do anything that was going to keep me from my family any longer. So I just kind of suffered in silence. Um, and at one point we were uh, in a foster home that it was, this is in Southern California, the school that I was in was massive. So to get to one classroom, to another classroom, it took very conscious effort for me to walk without showing the pain of just trying to get to that other classroom. Finally, we were reunited as a family and you, it was really hard on my mom. Um, so I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> because uh, I just wanted to make everything easier for her, not harder. Um, she's a beautiful woman. She's, but again, you know, just from a culture where I think she had a fifth grade education, hardest working, beautiful human being that I've ever known. But she was working three and four jobs. And I really had to step into a role that um, 
you know, made sure the kids were eat, were eating and we had a towel to dry off with and, you know, all of those kinds of things. There wasn't time to be in pain. So uh, summer started coming to a close and we, we were going shopping for our school clothing, right? And our routine was that we would go to different secondhand stores <laughs> and pick out our clothes. And then we would go to a laundromat and get everything cleaned and then, you know, really be able to try on the outfits and, and those kinds of things. So I was really excited to try my outfits on. And uh, there was this, we got the clothes cleaned or at least some of my things cleaned enough where I wanted to try them on. So I went into the little laundromat bathroom and I was a pretty tiny gal. Um, and the only mirror in that room was, uh, it was a pedestal sink and this little you know mirror above the pedestal sink. So I pulled over the trash can and there was just much, enough ledge on the trash can where I could kind of straddle it and step up onto it and see myself, see the clothing. Um, well, when I came down, something snapped and it was the, I can almost still feel the pain right now. It was just, there was no hiding it <laughs> at that point. I came out of the bathroom. My mom knew something was up. She didn't even ask questions. She just grabbed up everything, the kids, and we went straight to the hospital. Well, that was the, the, that was the last time I saw outside of a hospital for a year straight and then another year on and off, more on than off. What happened was they found uh, that cancer had eaten away my pelvic area. And uh, what had snapped was one of the, the last remaining bones that had been kind of holding me together. <laughs> so they essentially scolded my mother and said, how could you allow this child to be, she had to have been in, in excruciating pain. How could you have allowed this and let it go for so long? And she tried to let them know she had absolutely no idea. Um, they said, well, it's just too late. There's, there's no hope for chemo, radiation, for any of the standard treatments. There's just, she has six weeks to six months at best. And this so- is, This was a six week to six month diagnosis for terminal cancer. For terminal, absolutely terminal. Yeah, there was just, it was, it was too advanced. All of us, all, but all I knew was all of a sudden all my family was coming and they were bringing my puppy into, <laughs> into the hospital, right? It was all just very, very surreal. And then the doctor came in. And this was a small hospital, small town hospital that we had initially gone to. And he, I guess, had never dealt with having to tell a, a base, a, essentially a child. I think it was 12, 12, 13 during that time um, that they weren't going to make it, right? So he oh. made up this elaborate story about, oh, I just broken a bone and they're going to put me in a body cast. And and all the things, but I could tell by my mom's face and my uncles and and my family that there was something a lot more than that. So they got me ready to go home. They were gonna send a bed home and all the things, and I just knew something was up. And I had all these fantasies of crawling out the hospital window, because the way that it was set up then, my hospital window was on like a second floor, and it just went right out onto the roof, like. There was no even uh, screen. I could just go right out there. It was that they don't have that anymore. But um, and I wanted to see Disneyland, you know, and I wanted to do all the things. And those are the things I was thinking. I didn't know what was going on, but I just had this feeling something 
serious was going on. Luckily, before they actually, I actually left the hospital, a team of university doctors got wind of this young girl who was going to be sent home to say her goodbyes, right? And I say luckily because it was truly miraculous that they even got my story, that they were able to petition for me, and that they were allowed to experiment on me. So I was shipped yet again, hundreds of of miles away from my family that I loved very much to this university hospital that would become my home for uh, what seemed like an eternity back then. And essentially that began a pretty long journey, right? I was the unlucky child put in this hospital with very little hope. They were going to do try try some things, but there wasn't a whole lot of hope. What they were trying on me had only been done inside lab uh, labs prior to me. Um, and the lucky children, you know, that would come in with leukemia, cancer, there was also anorexics there, kidney issues, all kinds of, of issues in this children's ward. But uh, in the, as far as cancer is concerned, I began noticing something that was really disturbing to me. For me, they were starving the cancer. That was the plan, starve the cancer. And I was young enough, maybe my my bones would grow back, right? And I would be able to walk again. Uh, I didn't, I, from that moment on, from, get, from getting to the first hospital, I didn't really walk for about two years. Uh, maybe about a year and a half in, I started using some crutches, but, I was wheelchair bound most of that time. But that was really the worst of it for me is just pretty much the wheelchair. Well, for at first I had to just lay flat. They wouldn't even let me sit up. And then in time, <clears throat> pardon me, hold on one second. In time, I got to sit up. And then in other than then I got to graduate to the to the wheelchair, but I still didn't walk until I actually left the hospital. Um, but that really, was the worst of it for me. Go ahead. No, say that that in itself, considering you were only given up to six months to live, actually there there was hope there. Yeah. You had some kind of a hope because it, things were improving to a point where you had surpassed that six weeks to six months. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And it was all just such an experiment, like nobody, nobody knew what to expect. And I'll tell you what, just instinctively in my gut, I don't know what told me to do this, but I, I personally believe that it had a lot to do with my healing. They would, every so many hours, they would bring me painkillers, right? They would bring me these pills. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I just knew I didn't want to take them, but I was pretty much being forced to take them. So I would stick them in the side of my mouth and I had this whole stash happening <laughs> where I would throw them away or flush them down the toilet when I could. I did not want to take the pills. And then I had a lot of different films taken that would have me drink this stuff right before some of these films. And now I understand it was like birium. I didn't right. know what it was then, but I knew I knew my body needed to fight, right? And I'm not I'm not advocating. <laughs> this if you're in a hospital but mm. for me my in my young little mind in my young body i didn't want to take anything i just wanted my body to heal right yep. and yeah. i was healing at a much faster rate than they 
than they imagined that I could. And hospital food is not nutritious, sadly. Um, if anybody wants to get on that bandwagon, I will represent you. I will get you on stages because it hasn't gotten any better all these years, all these decades later, right? Um, and nutrition in my mind is one of your, your fastest conduits to getting well. So they kept trying to bring me soda because I would get uh, nauseous. Right. And I, I would tell them no to the soda. I just wanted water, orange juice. Back then I didn't realize, you know, the, the sugar content in right. orange juice. Um, and I really, you know, that candy galore. Candy was everywhere within that children's mm -hmm. ward. And how counterintuitive is that, right? I didn't, I didn't know as a child, as a young girl, that... Um, that uh, a young, a very young sugar, teen. sugar feeds cancer. Yeah, I didn't know that, but surely they should have known that, right? So I just instinctively, of course, I would partake sometimes, but not to the level where I right. could have. And I was healing at a pretty, pretty fast rate. Um, they essentially were, were starving the cancer <coughs> by stopping the blood flow. I had several surgeries where they went in and did what they do, and they were. Uh, experimenting on how not to feed the cancer. So that got stuck in my brain, number one. Right. Ah, if you starve the cancer and it can't grow, then you get to live, right? So that was the one thing that stuck in my head. The other thing that stuck in my head was I didn't feel so unlucky. I came in looking like a normal kid, just like everybody, every other kid that came in, right? But I got to remain looking like a normal kid I wasn't walking, but at least right. I was, I wasn't swollen like a, like a blueberry and I didn't have boils on, on my face or, or, you know, running down my, right. my chest. My gums weren't purple and in excruciating pain to where I couldn't even eat anything solid. I wasn't moaning at night. I wasn't losing my hair. You know, my eyesight wasn't suffering, all of those things. Right. And these children that would come in looking normal and then be getting that lucky kids treatment would soon, I, could, I couldn't even recognize them. And we would be playing in the beginning and drawing together. And then they were just too weak or too nauseous to even to function. And I remember yeah. thinking, well, well, wait a minute. Why, why weren't their parents told that, you know, maybe there was something else they could have tried first, like me, you know? And in my um, naive young mind, I didn't realize, well, they weren't going to experiment on, on the kids that had hope to, for chemo radiation to work. Um, they weren't going to experiment on them. And so maybe sometimes that is the best course of action. But I, I just, it got instilled in me that everybody should know all of their options, all of their options, lay it all on the table allopathic, integrative, alternative, cuckoo, totally mainstream. Just tell me it all. And then let me look at all the pieces to the puzzle and, and build it myself, right? Let me, let me decide which way I'm going to go. And I, I just think that there's a very uh, huge inequality, even all these decades later, with regards to, to information, right? We can drive down any freeway. We can turn on any television station. We don't really have television stations here, but um, every now and then, you know, when I happen upon somebody's television, 
every other commercial has to do with what pill you can pop or what operation you could have, right? All the billboards say that. So we're, we have all that education, but I, I don't remember seeing many billboards or commercials or my, my family doctor telling me about more integrative or, or even completely natural approaches that might work. It might have thousands of years worth of, of uh, practice behind it, right? That is a viable option for me. So I should at least be given that information. I may choose full on all allopathic, but that should be my choice. I agree with that. They've, they've got it wonderfully. They've got an, a facility here that is uh, just designed for that, where mm. they'll use Eastern and Western medicine and you have your choice of integrating them or you have your choice of, of doing one or the other. So ah. that your journey with cancer, for example, gives you, I, I, I can't, I won't say the name because I don't endorse them, they don't endorse me, but if anybody needs it, feel free to email me. And it allows us to make that choice. You know, as I said to you earlier, that um, I understand the journey cancer, not from having it, but I do understand it from being the child of a parent that two parents have, have had mm. it and watching them die with it, um, as well as you know, my grandparents, uh, three cousins, two uncles, um, an aunt. Um, it, it is, and, and friends of mine, two friends of mine that have died of cancer as well. So I, I know that journey from that perspective. And my sister is battling it for the third time right now. And I know that oh. the, the radiation and the chemotherapy have just devastated and left scars and left, you know, there's that she's never really let go of in mm. regard to that and the traumas. Uh, I really find it interesting a couple of factors that you had mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, one is diet. Um, the diet plays a major factor in our healing, whether it be through cancer or through any other disease or uh, autoimmune disease, for example, or some of these other maladies that we are suffering from, that we have mm -hmm. the opportunity to understand how food interacts with our bodies and it allows our bodies to heal more naturally more holistically yeah. like it's supposed to be. And it gives them the opportunity to. I really, I just smile when you were talking about hiding the pills. You know, not, one, one is a... <laughs> I got caught once. These two little old ladies <laughs> in the room before I was about to get my film saw me pouring the virium down the, the sink and they told on me. And so the nurse stood over me and watched me drink it. <laughs> busted. <laughs> But the pain pills and things like that, I think that, you know, I um, I can relate to that. And I, you recognizing that at that young age actually was a benefit to you. Your internal, your internal intuition, the universe was talking to you, in my opinion, in mm -hmm. regard to that. Because the impact that it has on your system for not allowing you to heal. And I find that amazing that you recognize that at your age without yeah. any outside input from that. So that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I'm sure that yeah, I, I do. I, I've used that as a gift, right? An inner gift. And I, we're definitely not saying don't take the, it's got to be something yeah. from within you. Exactly. In this, in this instance, it, they weren't sugar regulating pills. They were just simply for the pain. 
and I knew I can deal with the pain. I've been dealing with the pain, right? I just don't want these pills, but we're definitely not advocating. We're just uh, what I am will always advocate for is your choice. You should be able to, exactly. just like you, Michael, you should have that choice. I love that your doctor said, hey, it's his choice. It's his choice. Even though, you know, the nurses are just doing what they think right. they're supposed to do. And I, I believe that they're they're in that role because they have a heart of service and right. they truly believe that that was best for you, but you knew differently. Exactly. And and look at the results. You healed faster because your body was able to do its work right? it's instead of fighting the toxins. Yeah, we're supposed to. I manage my disease with diet as well as meditation, yoga, mm. tai chi, and uh, herbs. And that, that's my choice. And I do it. Yeah. I've talked about it on this podcast since we started this podcast. So it's nothing new. But it, I think, from more a holistic approach to healing, is a wonderful opportunity for us to connect with our mind, body, and our soul because it allows our bodies to recognize what needs to be healed and then help us understand the steps that we need to take to heal. And you're an example of that, an exemplary example of that, because look at you now. If you would have just listened to the doctors in the first place, if you wouldn't have had that opportunity where somebody came in and said, hey, I think we can try this. You might, you know, we want to put you in this program. And you had the determination and the knowledge from inside then we wouldn't be having this conversation right here and you wouldn't have had this company that you have built that that has wellness in its name. Mm -hmm. Oh, you just hit the nail on the head. So uh, I, I will speak to that because that that's definitely, you know, sometimes the, the most difficult seasons in our lives create the most beautiful journey, right? And and so I, I, I'm thankful for that because I, outside of having had that experience, who knows what I would have chosen for my career. But I, I did decide very early on, as I saw my friends who'd become my family in that children's ward, and they would suddenly disappear. And I was just told that they were taken to another ward. Well, I knew that meant that they were probably taken to ICU. And many of them, didn't get to to leave that hospital at least not not with their life not with their breath still in them i don't want to choke up but even today all these decades later i wake up every morning wanting to be their faces cuz they didn't get to live out their lives and and figure out what their dreams were and make mistakes and have children and have the ups and downs of life they didn't get a voice, right? And I want to be their voice. And the only way that I can do that is to make sure that every effort I make is one more step to information, right? We are in a digital age, which is great. That's amazing in itself. But we it's still so lopsided, especially when it comes to our health and well-being with regards to what our options are when we're faced with something serious, whether it's Crohn's, diabetes, cancer, whatever it might be, we feel like we're feeling our way around in the dark unless we just do what the white coats say, which is fine, I want, I want my doctor's opinion, but I also want all of my other options so that I can make the best decision for myself. And that is still really, really lacking. So I went to college for uh, business management, computer information systems, and PR and marketing. And um, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor, 
but I wanted to make a difference. I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to do that. So uh, I, I wound up a, a young mom alone, a single mom, and I wound up moving from the the West Coast to, um, at that point, I was in Northern Nevada, just, just finished college and got an internship in Texas, this crazy place called Texas, where in the 80s was my only experience in Texas as a Mary Kay lady. I was in the top 30% of um, recruitment in Mary Kay back in the day. And so all of us Mary Kay ladies hopped onto an airplane to go to Dallas to meet Mary Kay Ash for a convention. And so we had our beautiful, you know, Mary Kay faces on on the airplane, we're chit chatting. And, and then back then, when you got, got off the airplane, you went, it, it, it was on the tarmac, you know, we go down the stairs, we just stepped out <laughs> of the airplane, all of our faces just melted right down. <laughs> down our shirts. Like none of us looked uh, gorgeous after that. It was just like melting pot. And I remember thinking, this is literally hell on earth. Who would live here voluntarily? <laughs> like who in their right minds would live here? This was in Dallas in the 80s. And there was that horrible, horrible heat wave. Anyway, um, I remember thinking Texas is the last place I would ever want to live. And then Lo and behold, right out of college, I, I got this opportunity to work um, with a, a magazine out here. And um, so I, I dove deep into publishing and into editing that whole world. And um, I, I, I headed up this, um, it, was a, it was a Christian magazine. It was internationally acclaimed. And so I was the art director, the uh, editorial director and uh, the managing editor. I just, I just stepped into those roles accidentally and talk about university college, like university um, education. I felt like my education actually started after I graduated college because what, what an incredible, incredible experience. But all of that to say, I still had this gnawing in me. Like I loved working with the magazine, right? We, we, we wrote incredible articles. One of them that's really memorable was about uh, basically repenting to the in indigenous, right? To the Indians and uh, to the Native Americans. Um, Native Americans is the right way to say it. <laughs> um, in, in, you know, the atrocities and some of the things that we did. And so we got to write a whole article about that. And there was a, uh, a Kiowan family who got really involved in that process. And we had a ceremony, just kind of a forgiveness ceremony together. Uh, of course, that would never, never, never make up for the things that happened. But what was beautiful about that is there was a bridge, there was healing that happened. And there was a, a showing that there are hearts out there that would have never wanted that to happen, that there was always a better way, right? But all of that to say, I felt like I was doing good through through that work, but I still knew that there was there was more. That I wanted to work for the for the faces of my uh, of of what had become my family that didn't get to live out their lives. And so, um, after a season of that, I worked with. Uh, School of Writing, University of the Nations. Like I, I went through all of this uh, incredible journey, desktop publishing school, this whole beautiful journey. But then um, 
it came time for me to move to the next level. So I started my own marketing company, my own marketing agency. I was homeschooling my son. I opened a bed and breakfast. And, and so through the bed and breakfast, I'm like, Hey, I could, I could open this up, you know, during the weekdays when I don't have guests and, and hold wellness events. So I started holding just these little wellness events. I just make up some flyers. I'd stick them in chiropractic, chiropractic offices and, and, um, acupuncturist offices and all the health food stores. And I had, I had another miracle that I was able to buy a home. I can share that story another time, but it was much bigger than I needed because it was just me and my son. Mm -hmm. So I made most of it a bed and breakfast and the lounge was 650 square feet alone. Wow. So it just got to the point where there was bulging at the seams. People were standing outside the door on the deck to come to these events. I realized there's a real hungry hunger. People want to know what their options are. So then I, I rented the community center. We, we grew out of the community center. Then I rented the Rose Garden, the whole Rose Garden, right? Uh, we grew out of that. And so then I rented the uh, convention centers. And then there came my massive events and, and my journey that really led to what I am now, a speaker agent. So I was getting speakers at that time on my stages. Now I get speakers on other people's stages, but it's all very handpicked. I'm known for finding hidden mm -hmm. gems. Big names, great. Those are great sprinkled in. But what I want is to know those voices mm -hmm. of those hidden gems out there that are, that they have solutions they have curated information, years of knowledge, years of, of research, years of actually helping patients get well when, when oftentimes there was no hope. And once they graduate to the next level of life, right, or, yeah. or they retire, all that curated knowledge is often retires with them. Very little of it goes with them. I want their voices to be heard. I want their solutions to be known. I want them speaking all the time, right? Um, if it's if it's remotely, in person, uh, well, we're in person right now, but on location, remotely, writing it. However, right, get those solutions right. out there because there's there's somebody praying and crying at night, and all they need to hear is what you already know, right? And so that really shaped my career. Um, can I share with you really quickly about a, an oncologist from Italy Absolutely. that was a speaker at several of my events? So what was really, really interesting was uh, I would seek out these hidden gems, not just in North America, but throughout the world. And uh, through an orchestration of occurrences, I was put in touch with a doctor, an oncologist, an Italian oncologist named Dr. Tullio Simoncini. And he had written a book called Cancer is a Fungus, I believe was the name of his book. And um, he was not a natural-minded doctor at all. I actually didn't realize that until I brought him to speak at one of my events. I always got my speakers a suite, and I would fill up the suite, you know, with all the healthy foods and mineral water and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, the first thing, as soon as he landed in his suite, well, he was asking for soda and sugar. Like, where's the, where's the <laughs> sprinkle? Where's the sprinkle? And where's the fizzy? And I said, oh, the fizzy, the mineral water. It's in the, no, 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 no. He wanted Coke and <laughs> Pepsi and all that. So I realized he wasn't natural minded necessarily, but he had 
he had figured out one one way to overcome cancer when nothing else worked. And um, he was an oncologist of 40 years, but when he switched to pediatric, he got fed up. He got fed up with basically killing his patients, right? With the mainstream methodologies, he wanted something more. So he petitioned for a grant of some sort, went down to the basement lab, whatever, uh, you know, the details might be a little bit different than that. But he wound up discovering that every single one of his advanced ca cancer patients, his terminal cancer patients, all had very, very high levels of yeast in their systems. So he thought, hmm, what combats yeast? Sodium bicarbonate, right? Baking soda, essentially. So two pennies worth of sodium bicarbonate, he would, depending on if it was a tumor, you know, with certain kinds of cancers that he was able to treat and others that he wasn't. But brain tumors, uh, breast cancer, and those kinds were pretty easy for him. He would put these tubes inside of them and just kind of flush their system with this uh, sodium bicarbonate. And there were some other things that he did. And the hospital would not send him patients until they had already done their thing over and over. And it just was, they were just going to be sent home to say their goodbyes. And then he got to quote unquote experiment on them. I, I know a little something about that, right? You do. And he, <laughs> and he was curing them. Like they were, they were curing with two pennies worth of sodium bicarbonate. How happy do you think that made the, the hospital? Oh, that, you know, it, it, well, cancer is a business. Unfortunately, especially, especially in the United States, cancer is a business. And yeah. I've had conversations with a doctor that absolutely 100% um, believes it, at least from a, even from the, their medical practice. You know, it's a business. They make money at it. It absolutely is. And I, I, I honestly don't believe that the average doctor, the average, hopefully not even the average <clears throat> hospital administrator, wants anything less of, of, of helping their patients. Yeah. I mean, I have to believe that. Uh, but there, there's just this bigger system that is definitely the healthcare system, money driven, the pharmaceutical yep, empire, right. right? There's so much money in that. And with uh, Dr. Tulio, what was really, really interesting is the more he cured, the more they discredited him. Oh, really? So he got set up and they sent him a, a brain tumor patient who had already been through the ringer with everything, right? And they were not going to save this woman's life. So they sent her to him. He did his best. It was just too too far gone. They had they had pretty much thrashed her. When she passed, that was their their opening to be able to completely discredit him because of that and strip him of his crown. He lost his license as a doctor. Sadly, oh, really? after over forty years of being an oncologist, killing people on the regular through the accepted means, right? And he uses this methodology that was actually working, but did not work for this woman. And they completely discredited him. It was very, very heartbreaking. But he, he went on to write this book. And now he travels and speaks. And I had the amazing privilege for him to come all the way to Italy. I, at that time, I wasn't even paying my speakers. Right. He came all the way to speak at my events. Such an incredible honor. That's amazing. And uh, multiple times. 
and that his book signings would go around the convention center. So many people were hungry for some other way to face what they were facing. And, you know, one morning, really early morning, like 6 a.m. before before the convention opened, I was taking him to a news station because we were going to do a little interview at the local news station. And on the drive there, I said, so, Dr. Tulio, is there one type of cancer or any scenario where chemo and radiation works? He said, oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me, his English was not very good. Don't get me wrong. It works every single time. It works at killing the cancer. But it kills others. It also works at killing the patient. Yeah. And I said, well, is there, is there an instance if you were faced with that or if your, your child or a loved one was faced with that, that you would, you would turn to chemo radiation? This is an oncologist. He said, no, there was not, not one time that he personally would. Doesn't mean there's not the some reasons to do that. But. <laughs> Yeah, I've watched chemo, the effects of chemotherapy and radiation, and especially on my sister. It, it, uh, it she's been dealing with it for. Well, I say this is her third bout with it, and probably the past twenty years. And she's had radiation damage since the first time twenty years ago. It is just nasty, nasty. What a brilliant opportunity to help people and to save people, and unfortunate, an unfortunate corporate empire to discredit somebody based upon greed. And that's my mm-hmm. opinion, you know, yeah. out loud. That's just my opinion out loud. I, In dealing with the medical industry myself and understanding what they tried to put me through at the same time, not cancer, yeah. but, you know, the drugs that they put into me are similar to chemotherapy drugs. I, I, have, um, I have little respect for the corporate side of the health industry. I think that we're going to see a time where we're going to see how barbaric a lot of the things that we're doing are. I think that sadly, a lot of beautiful lives will never get to see that day. But I think there's definitely a day coming um, where we're going to we're going to talk about these days as being very barbaric. Um, I think that if the pandemic came with any gifts, which it did come with its own gifts, one of them was people. It definitely, definitely. People began rising up. They began questioning, hey, I was told if I wear a mask, I was going to be safe. I was told all of these things. I did everything right. I washed all my groceries outside. I did, and I still got the virus. But you know what? My body fought it off pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. If there, I know that there was yeah. at-risk at people who didn't fare so well. Definitely not going to demean that. But to close down the entire world honestly, right? And so everybody who did everything just right began to think, maybe maybe the white coats don't know everything, right? I respect them. I respect their position, but I no longer worship them. And I'm going to be okay about listening to my own gut and maybe listening to some outside of the box solutions because there might be some real wisdom there. Well, I agree. You know, I do agree with that. I, like I said, if I wouldn't be here talking to you myself, because typically the individuals that are on the drugs that they had me on have a life expectancy of about 15 years while they're on those drugs. And oh, um, I stopped those drugs at least 15 years ago. Wow. So realistically. And look at all the beautiful work you're doing, right? That wouldn't be getting done. Well, I, thank you for that. I, I'm humbled by that statement. But um, yes, I wouldn't be having conversations like we're having right now or 
the conversations that, that I've had in the past, the last 340 conversations that I've had. Mm-hmm. You know, it. I think that integrating a holistic approach as a choice within our environment is a better way of allowing us to choose how we want to manage our own health. And with that understanding, education is is an inherent part of of having that understanding. If we are educated in and are allowed to understand that we do have options that aren't necessarily just sitting in a pill bottle or in a vial or in an injection. You can't see my hands over here. I'm I'm talking Italian over here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. Um, you know, it's you if you don't if we're not educated from that perspective, you know, anybody that's out there listening, when you watch them do a, 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 an advertisement for a drug, for example, on TV, listen to what they tell you it fixes, and then listen to the list that's behind it of all the adverse effects that come with it. Yeah, And it will make you second guess whether or not you actually want to try that or look for an alternative. You know, I've spoken with people who have taken and cured now, this is their experiences, and you can listen to their own words on this podcast. MS, okay, ALS. I, I talked to a woman that was given three months to live, ALS. I was talking to her five years after they gave her a three-month death sentence. Um, wow. And so many other diseases that would, if you would have listened and not taking a proactive approach in regard to coming up with a solution that was not so detrimental on the outside as well as the inside, and then they wouldn't be there talking with me on the on the in this podcast or this show. Right. So again, yeah, it, it's it, it's always an opportunity for for being educated. Education creates knowledge. Knowledge then creates mm-hmm. opportunity for us to make power. And power. power, right? There's power and knowledge. And, you know, w- the work that you're doing, I applaud those who are actually getting not only their voices out there, but other people's voices out there. We don't know who's going to hop on here either t- today, right? Or a year from now, because this lives in infamacy, yeah. right? Uh, is that even the right word? Um, but this lives on uh, in, the, in our digital world. We don't know that person who's been praying every night who's been crying themselves asleep for some solution who might stumble upon this and just one thing that they hear because of you, because of your efforts, because of your courage, because of the sacrifices you make, because we all know podcasters aren't getting rich, right? That's correct. But you give of yourself so that people get some knowledge, right? And in knowledge is power. And that's a very, very beautiful thing. We think that we've got the internet, right? We've got television. We have all the the knowledge that we need. Uh, You shared your story about, you know, had you not made some different choices, it's very, very likely you wouldn't be here right now. I had uh, one of my closest girlfriends who, beautiful woman, very, um, very damaged from some childhood traumas. And um, she had come such a long way. And she had uh, two twin boys, very handsome, amazing twin boys. And she'd become a very well-known fiction author. Like she was killing it with her books. Her husband quit his job, like, because just to support her and, and hers. And they were making more than the average attorney makes per month just on mm-hmm. her book. And 
she had everything to live for. She had this massive following. And she was put on, I think it was Effexor or something along those, those lines for uh, anxiety and mood control. And um, sadly, she was found out in her writing studio. Um, she'd taken her life. And she had taken it in a way that I know that she in her right mind would never take it. She was a beautiful right. looking woman. And you would not disfigure your face. Like if you're going to be no. taking your life, like get, asphyxiate me so that I can at least, you know, have a pretty <laughs> viewing. Um, there's no way she would have in her own right mind left her boys. There's absolutely no way. Or her fans. I really believe that her death was drug induced. I, and, I, I have, obviously I'm not a doctor and I wasn't at that scene, but I would absolutely agree with you in regard to the, the mental aspect of certain drugs and the consequences of taking those drugs. Yeah. It, um, it, it's a very sad state, um, especially in regard to mental health, any kind of mental health and the drugs that they put you on. Um, I have, we'll discuss at another time when we're talking privately. But uh, there are some family members that I uh, have that are literally were put on different drugs that interacted with them at such a point that they were close to doing that. But luckily, mm -hmm. intervention was put into place to allow it not to happen. And it was a direct result of the drugs that they mixed together that weren't supposed to be mixed together within our system for mental health. So it, yeah, very sad, very sad, very sad. Yeah. I'm sorry for that. Um, <clears throat> I could talk to you for another hour. I could talk to you for another two hours. You've got so you. much more that you could share. <laughs> so I would like to kind of help people understand how to get in touch with you because you have an amazing opportunity for those individuals that have a voice that are looking to share that voice. I do have a lot of people on this um, I'm grateful for a lot of people within my audience that uh, are looking for a service that you provide. I mean, you help speakers, you connect that, especially within the health and wellness industry, which is a benefit. It gives us that education. It gives us inspiration. It gives us that motivation it, that we were just talking about. So can you please help us understand how to get in touch with you and what you provide? Sure. That is, thank you for that. Um, Thank you for that. Like you so eloquently said, absolutely. If you are a hidden gem out there, you've got a message to share and you just don't know what steps to take, like how to do that. Um, I have a full service agency. I take you from where you are to where you want to scale to and everything in between. We have a full research team, outreach team, the whole nine yards. I would definitely love to meet with you. It always begins with an interview. And the interview is actually fully free and it can qualify you to become a recommended speaker at no cost. So if, 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 you're, if you're ready and willing to put in the hard work that it takes to become, to get your voice out there, because it's not easy. It, even with everything that me and my team does, there's still some work on your part. But if you're willing and you're passionate about it, then definitely set up a time to meet with me and I will interview you. Uh, if nothing else, if we don't get to go any steps further, I will definitely consider you uh, as a recommended speaker. So to get there, um, I actually have a link that I'll provide 
Michael with that will get you to my calendar where you can um, book 20 minutes with me for that interview. You can also probably find it through my website. Um, you might have to email us though. We took it off the website because I was getting far too many far too many requests and many, many people that I wouldn't necessarily welcome representing. But your audience I know is of right of 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 similar minds. So mind and, <laughs> sound mind yeah. and body, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah and let's hope. And if not web, getting there, right? <laughs> your website is wellnessproductionco.com. And I'll I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes to be able to uh, be able to access that uh, directly. Right. And then when you give me that link that you're talking about to schedule something, the calendar. I'll make yeah. sure that that's also in the show notes. So it's the- wellness productions with an S co.com. Also, I wanted to reach out to any other producers out there who uh, want some incredible speakers in the health, well-being and optimal performance space. Make an appointment with me because I can definitely connect you with some pretty fantastic hidden gems out there. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. That would be mm-hmm. outstanding because we provide to people, those of you that are looking to connect like that, we uh, uh, would just say it's an opportunity. Don't yes. miss out on the opportunity. Antoinette, or in Italian, Antoinette, could you please, this is one more thing before you go, is there uh, like any words of wisdom? Or are there? Let me speak in proper English. Are there any words of wisdom you'd like to share? You bet. You? Never usurp your gut. Never let anybody take your choices away your 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 mind is a beautiful thing don't take anybody's word for it there's wisdom in many counselors have the courage and the wherewithal to get the information you need to know all of the options when it comes to your next best step with whatever you're dealing with so that you can make a decision that comes right there from your gut trust your gut right you may not be have spent six years becoming a medical student, but you spent your whole life getting to know yourself. Trust that. Brilliant words of wisdom. I love that. You spent your whole life getting to know yourself. I love that. I, want to, I like to put that, I'm going to put that on right here on my computer so I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your journey. I think what a profound opportunity. Yeah, what an amazing journey that you've had coming from where you were. Um, I know that you, 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 you weren't supposed to be here, but the universe allowed you to be here so we could have this conversation and you can share hope with people. And the fact that you did it, then there's those out there can say, hey, I, I, she's walked with, she walked a while in my shoes, so I have an opportunity to achieve that and do that. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you very much. Such a pleasure, Michael. I so appreciate you and I champion your work. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're really um, thank you. a gift. So keep doing it. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And for everybody out there that's listening and watching, one more thing before you go. Have a great day. Have a great week. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.